Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we'll be looking at the UFC 262 and recap that show. And we'll be looking at a preview of the Fight Night Club between Cody Garbrandt and Rob Front. So UFC 262 was in the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. So that crowd with the comedy team being Joe Rogan, John Anik, DC and Din Thomas. Well, we're going to look at it from the prelims, but let's quickly note on the main event, which was between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. Obviously, Oliveira won the contest and is the new lightweight champion. So, the division is finally moving on without Khabib Nogomedov and Conor McGregor, which is a good thing because that division was held up for quite a long time, even though Khabib would defend his style, it would probably be a yearly basis, which was not ideal for the division. And... I know, it was always connected into the Conor McGregor saga, which Conor McGregor is going to be Conor McGregor, and it's full of controversy, and yeah, finally we got the vision moving. Hopefully we'll see multiple title defences a year, hopefully we'll see a few title changes every so often, but Charles Oliveira is a tough, tough opponent for anyone in this sport, no matter what opponent they bring, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier is going to be a tough, tough opponent for them. So let's uh, look at the prelims first. Look at my notes real quick. First one was by was between Gigios and Soriano, if I believe I'm saying that correctly. It was a tale of two takes because I remember it was a striker versus grappler exchange, and the striker was getting a better hand of um. The grappler in this case, in the first round at least, it was Gigios and Soriano. Soriano being the striker and Gigios obviously being the grappler. So, yeah, Soriano was lighting him up in the first round. It was quite one-sided that first round, if you ask me. It was definitely an easy first round win for Soriano. But in the second round, Gigios just came at him straight away. Straight away, got him a few grappling shows, a few incre- like incredible little scramble and stuff like that. And then Gios locks in a nasty dash choke. Locks him, and he, he doesn't hook both legs, which is the usually you see in the UFC, at least. And you see him sort of hook the near leg of his legs to get the dash choke and sinks it in even deeper. And Soriano has no choice but to tap out, but he doesn't. He passes out instead, which, you know, some some guys refuse to pass, tap out and just drive pass out, which, you know. Good on, good fight, good way to start after eight premiums. Next one is Tucker Lutz versus Kevin Aguilar, which is a very, very sort of tight fight. Like every round was very competitive, it was just over quite a good fight. It was like back and forth from first in the first round. Aguilar tries to catch Lutz on the way in all the time. Lutz gets a late takedown in the round to win the first round, in my opinion. But yeah, Kevin Aguilar, there was a off game plan was to let Lutz try and work his way forward but catch him. So Aguilar used to try to use his straights and his jab to sort of kick, gauge the distance in between the two and he would catch Lutz obviously coming in. Lutz, Lutz was very good with his lead left hook. Very, very... Very, very good hit left hook, and he was using it very, very often. And Aguilar had no real answer to it. He'd throw it from weird angles, like it wouldn't be the str- 
same sort of lead hook. It would be, you'd throw it from the, the hip, you'd throw it right in his face. It would, sometimes he wouldn't even load up. It was just, it was finger beauty. And he would set up as well. So he would make Aguilar sort of go to the side he wanted, hit it with left hook. And yeah, he kept catching it, kept catching it, kept catching it. It was really, really, probably one of the best left hooks I've seen from the fire. He's obviously perfected that sort of um, strike right there. And then Lutz gets enough to take down in round two, I believe. And the end of the round as well, which was obviously a game plan probably going in to get a takedown with one minute to go in each round and uh, get the judges on your side. So he probably won that round two rounds to nil. In round three, though, Aguilar... Instead of going being on the back foot and letting Lutz come in and trying to catch him on the way in, he actually started engaging Lutz more often in the third. Started with real urgency. Lutz tries to shut him down with a takedown, which didn't mean to add one, but yeah, he tried to shut him down with a takedown and didn't really go to plan. Lutz was obviously very fatigued and very tired at this point. He worked a lot in the first two rounds and won them quite clearly. So he wanted to protect that third round. He wanted to either sort of nullify Aguilar's attack and win the win the fight two rounds to one, or he wanted to just just uh, grind out the round and win it by unanimous position by three rounds. But yeah, it was tabbed two sides really. First two rounds, that's. And then the last round, Aguilar. Aguilar done a lot more in that third round. He probably should have done that more earlier on. Second round. But end of the day, Lutz gets the job done. Gets a United decision win. It was 30-27, 29 and 28 by two judges. I'm a bit curious to, the, to understand why he won the 30-27 on the judge's scorecard, especially in that third round. I can't see how the judge scored it in Lutz's favour. But it was a very good fight. Two two fighters who actually put on a good show. It was a very good good fight again in the prelims. Right, we're gonna go into the last early prelim, I wanna say. And this fight was not great. It was Mazani versus Kashreya. And it was again a striker versus grappler sort of matchup, that classic, if you would. Mazzani, who is the fiance of Tim Minute, I believe. Very much the same sort of similar, like similar style. They want to grind out their opponents, outwork their opponents. But Mazzani tires out. In the second round, she was evidently tired. And I'm not entirely sure why, to be honest with you, because she went for a couple of takedowns and she got she got them. She settled in half guard, which is obviously the game plan. I think her coach was James Krause, who obviously that was the game plan, not, not going in. They know she's not very talented on the feet. They know she's quite a good grappler, but they probably didn't anticipate her getting tired so quickly. There might be a reason behind it. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, she tires out very, very quickly and tries to hold half guard, which she does for the first round, really. She, does, she controls the first round, probably wins that first round by just staying in half guard, doing little pee-pad punches, just body, body, head, body, body, head, you know, typical. Don't Not really doing any much damage, really. Just keeping Cashroyer uh, on 
on the bottom, half guard. It's easier to keep than full guard, or it's less, less threatening. So if you're in full guard, you know, the opponent can try guillotines, uh, triangle chokes, arm bars, etc. etc. Probably easier to get back on the feet as well because they could push you off their legs. Half guard is quite a safer position. So the probably game plan was to keep it down, half guard, and grind out a victory, which didn't happen. In the second round, tries to go with half again. Ref stands it up quite quickly, which probably was in. It probably could have happened because of the fans, really. Because the first time the fans really been in stadiums in the states, anyway. And yeah, they were booing, and the referee probably had a lot more pressure on him to stand up, and probably stood up a bit more quickly than he would usually, which was not good for Mazzani. She was tired. She barely, barely was fighting, really. So Kashwaya just started teeing up on her. Mazzani had no head movement at this point. As either she doesn't have much head movement in the first place, or it's because she was tired, which it could, could be either, because she, she didn't really good, look good on the feet at, in the first round, to be honest with you. And Kashwaya lights her up, striking her every exchange, walks her down. And then punches her repeatedly, hooks, straights, uppercuts, everything, throwing everything at her, walks her down, sees the finish opportunity. And I think 10 seconds to go, she gets the TKO win. Referee stops her. I don't think Mazzoni goes down. I could be wrong about that. But yeah, she has no cardio. feel a bit sorry for Tim in it because trying to make her style, no, his style rather, and it did not pay off. Yeah, we'll go through... The bets I made previously to the, to the event. So I had Charles Oliveira and Mark Chana to go under two and a half rounds, which was correct. I had Ferguson to beat Darius up. It was pure hope, really. But yeah, I had that. I had Burgos to beat Barboza, which that was an amazing fight we'll talk about. I had Souza to beat Munoz, which that was quite an interesting fight as well. Tucker, Tucker Lutz to beat. Kevin Aguilar, which actually came from Christian. Lee and Shashenko to go the distance. Uh, I can't pronounce her last name. But you do know Chikagian. I'm going to say that. Chikagian versus Arejo to go the distance as well, because obviously Chikagian never finishes her opponents. She is always going the distance, so I thought that was quite a safe bet to make at the time. Anyway, we're going to actually go into next woman's bout which is andrew lee versus the other shifenko sister which is a bit harsh on her but it's true she's not very she's not very good she has no she has no power to her punches or anything she does really so obviously when you have no power or you're not hurting your opponent especially if you're a stand-up fighter as well like Shevchenko is, she works in the clinch quite a lot. She obviously top, like a more Thai fighter, but she has no power to her punches. So the opponents obviously don't respect that. And why would they think twice about you know exchanging with her if they don't think they're going to get a knocked out or rocked or anything like this? Or you know if she's versing a grappler or a wrestler, they're going to be like, well, I have nothing to fear. Let me just go for the takedown, which. This fight is, is quite intriguing, especially in the second round. The uh, first round, it was quite tight, really. Uh, Shenko 
was getting a lot of success in the clinch. She was ranking on the back of her head, throwing Lee about a little bit and throwing knees. Lee tried to get it out of the situation a lot of times, but couldn't. The defence was a bit lackluster, but it it was it was quite intriguing anyway. Uh, she gets clipped, I believe. Yeah, she gets clipped and stunned. Eventually gets taken down at the end of the first round. So Lee obviously knew she was down in the first round. So she tried to make an impact, which she does. And she clips Shoshenko and knocks her down. But it's a bit too late. So in we go into the second round. And before we get into the second round, in the first round, Shoshenko tries to fire, uh, throw a spinning back fist. She does this a couple of times. In the third round, she tries to do it again. But you can sort of noticeably see her loading out with that. She was like sort of put, she was putting a lot of pressure on the hips. So she was trying to pop out the hips, spin around, hit Shenko, hit Lou with the spinning back fist. She tried to do it. She thinks like she can knock her out with that, probably. I don't know. But she wasn't getting time down. And Lee could see it from a mile away. So Lee catches. Shoshenko, while she comes in for the, the spinning back fist and gets a judo throw, like scramble, she gets another judo throw. And then they they scramble on the floor a bit whilst Lee gets a mount and goes for a triangle from the top. And then it she can't quite get in. She ends up in doing a conventional triangle and she tries to lock it in, front elbows and trying to threat the arm bar and she eventually gets it for like 10 seconds ago she held that sort of position for a long long time it was it was quite a gamble because if she doesn't get it in that third round her legs will be shot and shenko potentially do what do um the previous fight did for the women's which was the other woman was tired masani was tired and she got Absolutely took it apart in on the feet, but that wasn't the case. She got the submission win with I think eight seconds to go. She had the clacks and she really went for it. I think she won with an armbar. Yeah, she won with an armbar, and Shenko would either break her arm or tap out. She to- chose to tap out, which you know, you know, not everyone's Tony Ferguson and let their bones and ligaments tear and break. I think the next fight is Jordan Wright. I think lost to that guy with an spectacular KO either the, this year or the end of last year. I can't read that. I think it's Buckley. Yeah, I think that was his only loss on his on his record at all. I could be wrong about that though. Versus Jamie Pickett. I'm not too not too knowledgeable about him. I believe he was on the contender series. Uh, it was quite a quick fight to be honest with you. Uh, Pickett goes for an early takedown and it ends up in the fence whilst Wright just throws loads of elbows whilst Pickett's in a double leg position against the fence. Jordan Wright just throws loads and loads of elbows down onto the to like the temple of Pickett. It rocks him very badly because he goes down to his knees and then Wright just absolutely unloads on him. He scores a knockdown. Pickett survives briefly, then Wright chases him down, <laughs> literally running and chasing him, and throws loads of knees. Uh, he's got high advantage, I believe. And there was a not, it was quite a nasty KO. 
because his body like toyed and twist and turned as he fell to the, the mat because Jordan Wright hits him with a nasty knee strike from the clinch and then ground and pound finish off the round well to finish off the fight because it was a TKO win for John Wright I think it was only a minute I think the, let me check yeah, it was a one minute and four seconds into the round very very entertaining fight not sure about the the post-match interview I didn't really listen to it he thinks he's really good that's what I put down. I, I literally wrote down my notes. John Wright thinks he's really good. Thinks he can finish anyone. We'll see. And now we go into a very fun fight. It was in the featherweight division. Very technical. Very. It was again striker versus grappler, which is very weird because Grundy is a Englishman from I believe from Wigan. So they love their rugby there. So that might make sense. He is a grappler, and I think he might have been listening to the, the Olympics. I'm not entirely versed on his career, to be honest with you. Uh, but he is 12 and 2 going into this fight versus Vanar, who's come down from lightweight, very good striker, very technical, very crisp. His movements, it's just very pleasing to watch on the eye. And he's very slick with his movements, quite. It's just very, very pleasing to the eye, very aesthetically pleasing when he's on form anyway and immediately in the first round knee strike i think it was a double knee strike but i think one got got uh more hurt by it than the other but it was to the groin both of them hit each other in the groin which is quite funny it was like a wrestling sequence where they both kick each other in the nuts or something like that right we should have a cup of that. Ah, bit of energy uh it was loads of great scrambles to be honest with you loads of great scrambles not much really happened because obviously they were scrambling a lot and Grundy was on the offense, but he couldn't really get Vanetta down for the takedown. It was a very close round and Vanetta might have won the round, but to us, it could have gone either way. There was no rule. It was very much a toss up. And you'll understand later on when I tell you the results why. Uh, Vanetta landed a few good combos. Everything he done, he done it in twos, threes. It weren't really a one punch and out. He, he would not. He did not fear all Grundy's takedowns at all. Because of the last round, he, obviously he knows that he can get out of the takedowns. And the more times you try a takedown, it doesn't work. You got a question: Can they mentally go through with another takedown attempt? And how much they believe in it? And obviously, Vanar uh, believed in his takedown defense, so he was more comfortable on the feet and oh, I've got a message on my browser so I, I could record 30 minutes apparently so okay and yes Vanata cracked him a couple of times in, in the round as well but Grundy also landed a few good hits as well with a lot of power that obviously wrestlers have quite a lot of power that the old school wrestler would always be good at wrestling but have that one strike power which Fanata took quite well but Fanata most likely won the round so you could argue it'd be two two near Fanata or it could be one at this point so this last round was crucial to who would win the fight again more good scrambles in third 
and there was a couple of good changes. Again, close fight. Nothing really notable. Nothing really notable, to be honest with you. But obviously, it was just the past two rounds. Good scrambles, good combos by Fanata. Couple good hits by Grundy. Fanata probably getting the best of him, if you'd ask my opinion. So I'd say it's probably either a 30 27 or 29 28 on scorecards for me anyway for Vanar. but the scorecards were very very different so it was a split decision win for Vanar, i believe yeah it was so it was 29 28 30 27 so the 29 28 was for Vanar. 27 30 30 27 so each guy's got a 30 27 on each of the judges scorecard so it just tells you how tight that fight was and yeah it was quite interesting to watch at least and now i think we get to the the sort of the main fight of the prelims which was uh Salza, or jack ray as everyone knows him versus andre munez who both of them are very well versed in jiu-jitsu so this was going to be quite an interesting fight for especially for the jiu-jitsu fanatics but jack slack was loving this so let's have a little look at the fight so i remember it quite clearly i remember the finish anyway the rest of the fight a bit of a blur because that finish was absolutely nasty but we'll get into the start of the fight so in round one at the start of it anyway jack ray starts very well mixing it up throwing punches, kicks, and tries to go for a takedown, which he does get, I believe. Moose gets up quite quickly, like, did not waste time at all trying to get back to his feet, and gets a takedown on his own. But they obviously scramble, and I believe Moose gets another takedown, and Jack Ray was doing a lot of risky sort of get-ups and stuff like that, trying sweeps, or any way to get up, he was doing it very quickly, trying to avoid any sort of submission attempts by Munez and maybe go for a submission attempt with himself if he finds anything in the scramble. And it was just a very back and forth jiu-jitsu exchange of scrambles. And then I think he gives up his back trying to get up to his feet, which Munez tries to jump on it, obviously. Tries to backpack him, tries to get his rear naked choke. Obviously, Jackeray tries to get him to go over the top. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by doing so, he leaves out his arm which Munez takes a full advantage of and he grabs it and fucking talks on it straight away and he breaks Jack Ray's arm. The I think how it was just positioned and the torque and the, obviously the weight, they're both middleweights, but you know, obviously after a weight cut, they're probably on fight day at least 200 probably or 195, 200, that sort of weight range. And it was a modified armbar and I think it was the upper arm that breaks. You can see it. You can hear it. I think Daniel Cormier just couldn't watch it. He took the headphones off and everything, but you could visibly hear the arm breaking. You see, hear the little pop. And yeah, it was a definitely a exciting way, if you would, to end the prelims because the prelims overall were quite good, apart from the Mazzardi fight, which yeah it wasn't a very good fight. They were good fights, well, interesting fights. Like nothing, I think on this card in general, there was no clear odds favourite. Like every odd, like every fighter, the odds were quite similar in every sort of aspect. 
But anyway, this will be the end of the prelims. We'll get into the main card just in a second. Okay, welcome back. It's time to look at the main card of UFC 262. First off, we had an absolute banger. It was Shane Burgos versus Edson Barbosa in the featherweight division. And yes, it was a remarkable fight. It was truly extraordinary. So we're going to go into the first round, which um, it was meta kick central, as I put in my notes here. It was a lot of back and forth exchanges between a boxer and a kickboxer, essentially. Uh, boxing for Shane Burgos and kickboxing for Edson Barbosa. But there's a lot of calf kicks, a lot of meta kicks, I'm probably going to call them. And um, it, they were adding up. Barbosa was counting beautifully and rocked Burgos quite quite heavily in the first round. It was just uh, very similar in each round as well. So obviously Barbosa, a lot of kicking and uh, catching him very well, especially with the check hook. The check hook is becoming quite a formidable weapon, especially in the UFC and MA in general. But you see it a lot in the UFC, sort of lightweight, well-weight, and it's probably the light division. You, you tend to see it in heavyweight, like the heavier divisions, like the heavyweights, lightweights. Sometimes the middleweights you might see it, but especially in the lightweights classes. Uh, we're going to go into round two. It's basically a repeat of round one, if I'm being completely honest. But instead, Burles did change up a little bit. He had the front kick, which was very good little um, adjustment, especially in, especially because of the first round where Barbosa was getting a little bit closer and then leg kicking him. Every time Shane Burles fought, Barbosa was loading up a leg kick or a calf kick or thinking about a calf kick, he'd throw a kick of, uh, of his own, which was down the pipe, front kick to the body, trying to wear out Barbosa, trying to get tired for that third round. Or potentially try and get tired for that round to get a fish finish in the second round because Burgos, you know, he wants to finish the fight. So does Barbosa. They're both yeah, excellent, excellent fighters. Good power, good technique. It was a back foot, perfect matchmaking. Absolutely loved this fight. I'm going to go into the third round. Uh, it was an absolute barbiner, as I've said before. But um, Barbosa scores a beautiful combo and KOs Burgos, but it's very weird. Very weird KO because he catches him again with the, I think it was a lead hook. Yeah, it was a lead hook and Berkos took the blow, anticipated blow probably as well. So he takes it and it was like that two, three seconds after the impact. So he's still on his feet and you can sort of see Berkos' body just give way and he's sort of his legs go after like two or three seconds. It's such a bizarre knockout. Or Tico, as I think the official the official result is. But it was basically a KO. He hits him with the check hook again. And Chambers goes down. You can sort of see in his eyes that he's a bit confused about his body sort of giving out on him. But he's, yeah, it was a beautiful fight. Absolute bomber. A great way to start the main card. It couldn't ask anything more, to be honest with you. I could watch that fight another 10 times and probably not be bored with it. I've, Recommend people go out and watch it. Go out of your way to watch it if you've never seen Shane Burgos or Edson Barbosa fight, which is very unlikely. Two mainstays of the UFC at the moment because Barbosa fought everyone, fought every good fight, especially in the light division. Starting at featherweight, very, very well. Burgos, obviously, just absolute killer. They're both killers. They're both exceptional. Definitely recommend this fight. Heavily recommend this fight. Then we go 
into the second fight. So if before I start this, there was I believe five fights on the main card. I'd say the first one and the fifth one were exceptional. The ones in the three in the middle were quite lacking in terms of excitement, but it doesn't mean they were bad. Well, one of them was, but we'll get into that in a bit. It was Caitlin Shikagian, with the most awkward name in the world, versus Vivian Rejo. And it was, again, a big hitter versus uh, quite a volume striker. So a power striker versus a volume striker. And Arreo was hitting big shots. And Caitlin was trying to establish her range, which she does quite well, especially in round two, two and three. Caitlin is using her timing and range well in the second round, especially. So the first round was a feeling that process, whereas the second round is where it really sort of kicks off. Caitlin is using her timing and range well. Arejo gets a takedown, works into a full mount by threat and by threatening the oh, sorry. By threatening mounting with a guillotine. Caitlin gets back up and starts piecing up Arejo. Arejo looks a bit fatigued straight away. Caitlin obviously putting the work on her, making her work, obviously being the volume striker. So obviously she was making a move, making a miss. It obviously Rejo was overextending a lot as well. She's trying to throw big power punches all the time, and sometimes she would miss wildly. It was just, um, yeah, it was just quite, quite the exchange. And then obviously on the ground in round two, there was a bit of controversy because obviously Rejo got a guillotine choke, and a feature in full mount, like I mentioned. Apparently there, there could have been a tap. The replay show it's hard to tell. It could be her reaching out. It was a wasn't a clear tap, but it would be sort of harsh to say that uh, Kate and Chicago cheated because couldn't really tell. Or no matter what angle they gave, I think every angle you probably have a different opinion. So I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that she was trying to reach out or or anything like that because it was a it weren't. Definite tap, so just give it a benefit of the doubt on that one. But it's definitely hard to judge, I'd say. But Caitlin, I'd say, was getting a slight advantage as she does in sort of uh, gets these top five, top ten contenders. She she can't beat Shanko. Sure, he tried. So it's it's quite hard because obviously in the lighter division in. For the females, which are kind of the straw weight, the straw weight one's very competitive, I'd say, but the other two are not, or the other three, I wouldn't really count the featherweight division in front of me. Completely honest, there's not a lot, lot of fighters in general in the female featherweight division, but in the other two weight classes, you've got Amanda Nunes and Shenko. They're absolute monsters. So how are you gonna have fighters compete against them? Like Shikagian, obviously a top fighter in her weight class, but. She can't beat Shoshenko. So I'm not sure where she goes from here because she wins the contest. It was um, she just outstruck her in third round. Just pure volume. She does, she does try and go for it in the last 30 seconds. They both do. But yeah, she wins again by decision. I don't think she has an actual finish in the UFC, which is surprising considering she's a top three contender in the, in the weight class. So it's quite interesting. I also noted that they didn't mention the potential tap in the post-match interview. I'd love to hear what her explanation was 
or if they would have shown her the clip and see what she could have said about it. Because obviously, we didn't know. Commentators didn't really know. They tried to analyse it themselves. They didn't really know, so I thought they would bring it up in the post-match interview. But they didn't. I don't know if they were told not to or if, you know, they didn't feel like they needed to. But I, I thought it would have been quite interesting to see what Caden would have said to so not the accusations, but did she tap or was what the accusation would have been. The next fight, probably the worst fight in the main card, at least. Probably the second worst in the on the entire show. If I'm being brutally honest, it was Schnell versus Boatroom. So Boatroom is a flyweight, if I do believe. But he was fighting a bandweight. And even though he's up a weight class, which I don't think he's staying there. He missed weight by a pound. So he weighed in at 137. Which is... A lot of people were criticising him online about saying that he's unprofessional and stuff like that. It's only a pound, but that pound is... It's a difference. In the day. It's an edge. And considering he's a flyweight fighting a bandweight and missing weight, it doesn't look good. It looks like... It makes him look unprofessional and I feel like you got to question his heart and it did he did look a bit overweight on fight night for especially for a bantam weight. He looks a bit 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 stocky. To be honest, not much to note in the fight. Snell was trying to close down the distance and try and use his range, but Burring keeps catching catching him in. Obviously trying to conserve his energy. I think he had a bad weight cut. So he was just trying to catch Snell coming in. Chanel had to sort of engage with Boatrin, which he doesn't really do. He doesn't really bring the fight to him, even though Boatrin's obviously set himself up to counter wherever Chanel throws at him. Chanel doesn't really do much. He throws a few calf kicks, or he just won't really do much to, to press the action. And, yeah, I think Boatrin gets the better of every exchange they really have. Not much damage really done, really, but Burton probably done more. So, especially in the first round, Burton probably won that barely. And uh, round two, more or less the same. I think there was less kicks by Burton in the second round because obviously Burton was trying to use that calf kick to slow down Schnell. Obviously, like I said before, he was trying to just counter him. So, if, it, if you could take away his legs, he's going to be less faster, he's going to have less power, so you're going to be able to catch him whenever he comes in, but yeah, not a lot of action in the second round, same as the first, and then same again in the third, you'd think both fighters would go for a bit more, I feel like both fighters were a bit too confident that they would win by decision, didn't really go for it, didn't press, Schnell, I might note, in the end of the first round, he complained to his corner, it's quite win. it was quite whingy, it was quite whiny, it was, um, he said, oh, he was like, oh, he won't engage in, he won't engage in me, it, but it's a fight. In the day, you're in a fight. One person's going to have their sort of style. You're going to have your own style. And they're going to have their sort of plan to how to beat you. And Boatrins obviously was let him engage me and I'll count off that. And Schnell just didn't have a lot to offer, if I'm being completely honest. And Boatrins wins by decision. I think it was a unanimous decision. Yes, it was. It was 30-27, 30-27 and 29-28 for Boatrins. Schnell looked visibly upset, but he, after that sort of performance, I would be too, to be honest with you, because it wasn't a very good, it wasn't a very good performance by both men, if I'm being completely honest. 
I think Bertrand's going to go down to the flyweight next fight, if I believe. But yeah, a real naffy fighter, especially if Schnell's from Texas. So you'd think home hometown boy, they'll behind him from the first buzzer. And I think during the second round, they booed because there was no action. Schnell didn't really do much. And yeah, really boring fight, to be honest. Now, to the co-main event. Which was between Tony Ferguson and Benel Dariush. Obviously, Ferguson coming off two losses. One to Charles Oliveira, who's in the main event, and one to Justin Gaethje, where Justin Gaethje just landed so many headshots. Tony, so many blows to the head. And absolutely brutalised, if we're being honest, Tony Ferguson. I've never seen such a one-side championship fight, I don't think. And Dariush coming up. I can't remember who he beat beforehand. I don't know if it was Ferreira. I can't right if you remember but Darius has been around quite a while and he's very good like he's very good grappler very good submissions and stuff like that but his striking is also very good and Tony Ferguson he just looks outsized in this fight if I'm being quite honest and um but the fans were pumped for this fight to walk out for Tony Ferguson was electric the fans were so behind him I was behind him like everyone wants him to bounce back obviously because he's such a, a great figure for the lightweight division just for UFC in general I think everyone loves Tony Ferguson the memes of Tony Ferguson are out there in force and um, yeah those Tony chants going into it but Darius I think he believed he definitely believed himself whereas Tony I think there was a bit of self-doubt Darius definitely believed in his abilities to beat Tony Ferguson and sort of had had it planned out of how he'd be in. and that was by being aggressive people usually especially before just get you fight were quite timid maybe one tie short tell you what's going to do so i think benil darius just shut down immediately just very aggressive start especially in round one he gets a takedown which is what happens in the fight gym takedowns top position go for finish and darius with first round ground pounds him Tony does get a few elbows from the bottom but nothing too devastating about uh, Darius throwing some bombs on from a full guard but yeah he tries a uh, he tries to work through the uh, Tony's guard and it's it's quite a bit of a stalemate if you would but obviously Darius was controlling the fight and won the first round quite clearly and then in round two I think Darius gets an immediate takedown in the second round. Uh, Tony Ferguson tries a dash choke. It was a very weird position. I think he was against the cage, but it, it, it would have been very difficult. It was quite a lot of energy, a lot of strength, a lot of power for Tony to really try and cinch in that dash choke, which he loves to use. But Darius is a lot, lot bigger than Tony Ferguson. Probably outweighs him by at least five to ten pounds. Like he, he is a lot bigger. And uh, at the end of the round, Darius got a tight, tight heel. I'm, I'm amazed that Darius, no, not Darius, sorry, uh, Tony Ferguson didn't tap out because Darius had it locked in. That You could visibly see Tony Ferguson wince in pain because he stopped defending the heel hook because the absolute pain was going through his body and he sort of 
jolts backwards through it and then eventually fights out of it. I think Darius was a bit shocked that he did tap out, but obviously it's Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is an absolute warrior. He will not tap out. Evident in the last fight against uh, Charles Oliveira, where Charles Oliveira nearly broke his arm off and he still didn't tap out and survived that round. Same again here. He'll hook, probably, probably pop something, probably done something quite, quite bad to his ligaments or anything really. It did look good. And Darius finishes the round strongly. And it's probably two nil round uh, two rounds to nothing for Darius. And going into the third, you can see Tony Ferguson's uh sort of movement being hindered by the heel from the previous round. He was obviously feeling that it was obviously hurt in the in the third. Uh it goes to the ground again where Darius just Mounts him, gets control, throwing good shots, and just controlling folks and making sure that he nullifies all these attacks. Ferguson tries everything he can, but obviously he's hurt, and Darius has just got his number, especially in this fight. I feel like Tony Ferguson, I do feel bad for him. He's had absolute killers his, his entire career, and he's sort of slowing down a bit, and he's still fighting these killers, Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, and now Benel Darius. So he's fighting all these good guys and at the peak of his career would he have been Khabib Maganayov? Probably not, but obviously that the fandom would like to think they probably could, but it would have been a close fight in, in his prime. But he's he's off the pace now because he's obviously slowing down. I think he's 38 years old or at least getting towards 38. But I sort of hope he can bounce back and get a a reasonable matchup for him in the next fight that he has. But obviously he's getting paid that that big money. So I don't think Dane White will be looking to match him up against anyone that he can get an easy win for because why pay him all that money if he's just going to fight scrubs or fight people that aren't ranked or anything like that. So they'll probably put him against a top 15 guy again next fight. And if he loses, you could possibly see him getting cut. Which would be really sad because obviously Tony's a really beloved figure. I think they would probably give him two more fights if I'm being being nice there. But you never know with Tony Ferguson. He could bounce back, but I very much doubt it. Now we go into the main event of the evening. It is Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler obviously coming from Bellator, which he was champion, I believe, once. I don't think it was he once or twice. I can't remember, but he... He's fought multiple people. He's fought Eddie Alvarez twice. And yeah, he came into the UFC with a bang, if you would. And he beat Dan Hooker with a first round KO. And he sets it up very well. He makes him go to the side and uses a, a body shot and then comes over with the left overhand and knocks out Dan Hooker. So obviously this sets up the flight choice of Charles Oliveira obviously coming off the Tony Ferguson win, which he dominated, absolutely dominated. And I think the fight beforehand, he beat Kevin Lee by a good team. He might have had a fight over between, I can't remember, but he did. He's coming off an eight-fight win streak, I believe. And he is looking dangerous on the feet, on the ground, no matter where it is. Charles Oliveira is a dangerous man. And Bruce Buffer, he made, with the fans in attendance, and just Bruce Buffer calling the main event. It was absolutely phenomenal. He introduces both fighters and 
I couldn't have been more pumped. It's obviously a very good matchup again. Good match breaking. Very good matching. Very sort of um, very much the entire card. Very good match breaking. Very tight match breaking. I think it was very 50-50 going into this. I think the odds or the public opinion was pretty 50-50 about this. I think Oliveira slightly had the advantage in terms of votes, in terms of who thought he would win. But yeah, Oliveira tries a couple of calf kicks, automatic kicks, as I call it. But Chandler catches it and tries to take down. There's a lot of good scrambles here. And Oliveira, very comfortable on his back, very comfortable. He's so calm. Had had no sort of self-doubt in those exchanges, which uh, Oliveira hasn't had self-doubt for quite a while. Because earlier on in his career, you could sort of see the doubt creep in. He'd get tired, he'd doubt himself, and he would essentially give up in, in the fight and let the person sort of win, really. Anyway, Oliveira tries to take down. Chan actually attempts his the guillotine, which it was quite tight, but uh, Oliveira obviously very comfortable, very good with jiu-jitsu. And um, Oliveira gets out and tries to get a rear naked choke. She nearly gets, and it was a very really good exchange. And Chan had a very interesting defense by, because um, obviously Oliveira pat, done like a backpack, rear naked choke. And Chana just jumps in the air and makes Chana take, makes Oliveira take a lot of impact to his back and neck. And Oliveira just go, keeps trying for the really choke. And then Chana gets back up, I believe, and hits him with a lot of power shots. And he scores a knockdown. And it was very, very close. He could have easily have got the TKO win here. I feel like the ref let go, especially as a tight fight, they have to sort of not try and stop it early because you don't want that controversy you don't and Oliveira covers very well sort of just rolls to his back and sort of says if you want to knock knock me out or get a TKO you're going to have to go into my guard and potentially get yourself caught with a choke or an armbar or all these sort of things and Chana sort of opted to try and push the legs out of the way and go for the big shots which he couldn't get because Oliveira defended very well but that's why around maybe another 30 seconds Chana might have got the Fish, who knows, but that's the fight business and that's the fight game. It's a five minute round. They know, they know what they have to do. You hear the klaxon, last 10 seconds. China done everything he could to try and get that TKO win, but it did happen the first round. He looked very good, and I think going to the second, a lot of people believed that China probably would get the TKO win, but in round two, immediately, I think first minute, if you would. Yeah, I feel. Even quicker than that, first 30, 20 seconds, 19 seconds, I think the efficient time is. Yeah, 19 seconds. Yeah, it catches him immediately. He gets the TKO win, which is so bizarre. Everyone was on their feet. Absolutely, absolute pandemonium. The commentators were losing their shit, which I'll briefly touch on. They actually done a quite a good job. I feel like they're more professional. They treat it less like a podcast. When there's fans in the tents, they treat it like an actual actual sporting event, which it is. But when there's no fans in there, I feel like it doesn't feel like a sporting event. So they sort of are more relaxed and treat it like mates on a night out, if you would. But anyway, go back to the knockout or the TKO, if you would. Again, check hook, which is just 
people talk about the calf kick a lot, but the check hook is being very, very much used a lot, especially in these light divisions, like I said. The check hook lands on the chin and he follows up with a couple of good shots. You obviously see Mark Chandler's quite visibly wobbled and doesn't really know where he is. He tries to sort of run to the side and get away from Charles Oliveira, who just sees the finish there and he chases Charles down and catches him with another left hook, which is quite funny because hook, which just loads of check hooks, loads of hooks, and gets the knockdown and then finishes it on the bottom and the referee eventually pulls Charles Oliveira off and he wins by TKO in the second round and he goes absolutely bananas. He jumps over the cage. He runs to his, I assume his family or people that's close to him and he gives him a hug and yeah, it was very evident to, uh, I think the commentators said it as well, I think it's Joe Hayaldo which jumps out of the cage and runs like 100 feet away and then comes back. And then he is your new UFC lightweight champion, which it's quite exciting because now we might actually see the division move on and see a lot more matchups for it. Obviously, the Conor Gray fight and the Dustin Poirier fight might decide another one contender, even though if Conor does win, I don't feel like he deserves another shot at all. I'm not a hater at Conor Gray at all. I actually quite like him, but a lot more guys deserve a shot at the title. But Benel Dariush probably doesn't deserve a shot at the title, but he probably deserves an eliminator, like a title eliminator maybe against Justin Gaethje, for example. But if Dustin Poirier wins, he's fight against Connor. Dustin Poirier definitely, definitely deserves a fight for the, the championship once again, which Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira would be an absolute amazing fight. Both use check hooks very well. Um, both guys have that killer instinct. Both guys are very good stand up for Yeah, it would be an absolute amazing fight. But yeah, just quickly go over the sort of what could happen in the lightweight division. Because obviously we've got Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier. We've got a lot of good fires there. Probably not as good as was maybe three years ago, but Got a lot of good fights. I don't know if Paul Felder went for his uh, with his retirement. I think he's still in the rankings, so I don't think he did. I think he's still in the testing pool as well. So we got Paul Felder in there. Dan Hooker, obviously, but I don't think he'll ever compete for the title. So yeah, we could probably potentially see Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira later this year, which would be very exciting. So. Pardon me. Okay, that was a recap for the main card. We'll go to the preview for the next fight night. Sorry about that. I had to have a little break there. Still got a little bit of mild cough. But um, before we get into the preview of the fight night card, I thought we'll quickly touch on a couple of fights that I got from Spain. So we had Edmund Chabazian and Jack Matson, who are actually on the fight night card on Saturday at the Apex Center. And uh, obviously we had Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards getting postponed to UFC 263, I believe, which will be five rounds, which it was five rounds on 262, but it's still an interesting fight that got postponed. Quite disappointing that it went on the UFC 262 card. 
because I think everyone was looking forward to that. Obviously, Leon Edwards is a really good striker, and UFC re are starting to get behind him. And obviously, we've got Nate Diaz, who's a phenomenon right now. He's got this aura, he's got this superstar sort of prowess to him, and I think everyone loved to see that fight. I think it brings more eyes onto Leon Edwards, which is quite important if he wants to get that title fight against Kamara Usman, especially if they want to draw big money and a lot of viewership, a lot of pay-per-view buyers if if Leon Edwards was to win, which I'd say is more likely than not, to be honest with you, because Nate Diaz, he's sort of say, stayed the same sort of fire. Uh, maybe he might change it up. It's been two years since he last fought, I think. His last fight was against Jorge Masvidal for the BMF title, which hasn't been defended, but that's a different subject. And obviously the Jekyll Manson fight and Edmund Shabazi fight, which is actually on his card, which we'll might as well brief now. Obviously, it is not a limited, but it's one of them sort of contender fights in the middleweight division, which is quite a stat division, to be honest with you. There's like a lot of good fighters in that division. Shabazian, obviously, with Ronda Rousey's former camp, with her husband. I'm not sure if he's still at the camp anymore. I think he's also retired. But anyway, I think everyone sort of looked at that camp quite negatively, including myself. I think there's all there's going to be a ceiling. I think everyone thinks there's a ceiling with Edmund Shabazian. I feel like he's a very talented fighter in the wrong camp. It might come to a few more years. He might move on. Who knows? But obviously, there's a lot of investment into him at that camp. I feel like they believe in him and they want him to succeed. I feel like the coach there, he's, all, he's just a... Uh, a questionable character, obviously, giving Ronda Rousey a lot of misdirection and and sort of leading her to think a certain way in certain fights. Maybe if she was in a better camp, she might have not lost Holly Home in a different camp. She might have put up a better fight against Amanda Nunes, which probably wouldn't have happened. Amanda Nunes is an absolute animal. But Holly Home fight was definitely a bit questionable. Obviously, Trebazian, uh, it's a new era, different time. Hopefully the camp goes goes well for him and hopefully the coaching is a bit better for him because obviously he's a good prospect for that midweight division. I feel like there's a lot of good fighters. And you've got Jack Manson who I think he beat Kelvin Gaston. I don't think that was his last fight. I can't remember his last fight to be honest with you. But he's he fought every sort of dangerous character in the midweight division. I think he's fought Jared Karanir, I think. He's full, well, he's full of top guys. So we'll see how that matchup sort of plays out. I'd probably predict that Jack Manson would win. Just for, I feel like he's got more tools and a bit sh- stronger than um, Shabazian. And also he's got that Derek Brunson sort of formula. I feel like the that Derek Brunson sort of exposed Edmund Shabazian. And it's be interesting if he can bounce back. If he can't, you've got to really question, is he ready for that sort of top 10? sort of fighters right there because they're all dangerous they're all killers in that sort of top 10 so it'll be interesting I feel like the obviously the Derek Brunt fight just leaves a good sort of what sort of uh, formula how to beat Edmund Shabazian and just absolutely demolish him but we'll see we'll see how it plays out I'm predicting Manson I think you'll get a submission win but we'll see also this card is made event by Rob Front and Cody Garbrandt, who I've, I watched both their last fights. 
Obviously, Rothamp beat Rice. First round, TKO, KO. And Cody Garbrandt won on the buzzer against Rafael Asensio in the second round, which was a fantastic knockout. Both guys are very comfortable and fit. Both guys are very good strikers. Rob Font is probably more technical, probably very good going backwards and forwards, whilst Cody Garbrandt is, he goes side to side, back, back forth, but he's very susceptible to a, probably a hook, which is quite different to the, the, like the new meta, if you would, that a check hook probably would be there all day for Rob Font, but there's been a lot of progress in terms of Cody Garment choosing his engagements. If he gets an engagement, if you're judging by his last fight, he'll sort of choose it. I feel like Mark Henry has really installed into uh, Cody Garbrandt a good sort of technique and uh, discipline into Cody Garbrandt's game, which he didn't really have to us for years. Running through the bantamweight division and then he had the fight of his life against Dominic Cruz, the world title, which he won. I'm quite comfortably. I need to watch that again because I feel like that was a pretty good fight. Big fan of Dominic Cruz as well. And yeah, I feel like that'd be a very good fight. I've got to think about um, obviously when Cody Garbrandt gets in in the moment, he can lose his head. He can get too emotional about fights. If you look at the TJ Dillashaw's fights, he had TJ Rock feet in the first fight and I feel like he was getting a better exchange in, in the second fight as well, but he got emotional and he got clipped with st- a lot of stupid shots, a lot of shots that he should have really anticipated. He, I think in the first fight, he got hit with the same shot three times in a row. I think he, he uh, I feel like if he gets there mentally, the physical stuff will just come naturally. I feel like that if he can stop getting this overwhelmed by emotion, that he won't be susceptible to getting in engagements and bad engagements. When you look at uh, Pedro Muniz, like, I'd probably say that they're both very, very good, obviously. But I think like he gave Pedro Munoz the, the chance to beat him and Pedro took it because he got over-emotional and he lost the fight because of it. be interesting to see because obviously Rob Font, great fire, two two very good fights. I don't expect it to go to the ground. There might be a couple of scrambles. I mean, Cody's still an alpha male, alpha, alpha male guy. So maybe you might introduce some wrestling there. I'm not entirely sure. I think that would probably be the best. Keep him guessing, obviously. And Cody done that weird kick against Rafael Sanzel where he like plants his hand and slides and tries to kick the calf. I'm not entirely sure if he'll do that this fight. It'd be interesting to see if he implements that. But there is a few notable fighters on this card. Wrote them down. So you got Garbrandt and uh, Rob Font, obviously. Garbrandt's a former champion. We've got Felicia Spencer, who is also a former title challenger. You've got bon, uh, Ben Rothwell, who's, I think he's got over 50 fights. Court McGee, who won tough, I believe. And also you got Manson, Levin, Shavazian, who are also contenders in their respective divisions, or in their division, the middleweight division. But yeah, there's not many fights that sort of jump out at all, to be honest. If you look at you got uh, Esparza, fine. I think she's a former champion. I think she won that first tough female series where it was four belt. Could be wrong about that. Uh, yeah, there's just not many fights there. Because there's a heavyweight fight, which one guy is four and two. Uh, Taffa. Taffa's four and two. 
but yeah, I think the this, this the card is very. I think there's two fights that everyone's going to look at. There, there'll probably be good fights. I'm not saying there won't be. Uh, you've got Materios who's on there as well. It used to be used to be half decent. Um, but yeah, it's mostly two fights that everyone's going to be looking at. There is obviously there's going to be good fights. There's going to be that them people that you don't really know having good fights. I mean, last card didn't know much much about a few fighters, but um. Yeah, there was a lot of good fights in that card. So let's uh, let's quickly look at the bantamweight division because this division is absolutely stacked. Not just top ten stacked. I mean, overall, very very good. So let's look at the last five fights for Rob Font and Kogarans. Give sort of insight over it. So Rob Font's last five fights have been against Morris, where he won by that KO. But a lot of his wins are by decisions recently, wrist time. So he beat Ricky Simon, Sergio Perez, and Sancho uh, by. Um... Oh no, he lost to Sancho. Oh. I think that's his only loss in his last five fights. But he got a decision win against Perez and Ricky Simon. And then he beat Thomas Amelia uh, by KO in the second round. And obviously, Cody Garbrandt, as we've sort of touched on. Lost against, he beat a Santiago last fight. He lost to Munez and he lost two fights in a row to Dillashaw by KO. All his losses are by KO. But he beat Dominic Cruz in that in that championship fight, which was probably the performance of his life. Now let's touch on the Bantamweight division. This Whoever wins this fight will probably get the title shot. Maybe. Depends, depends if they rebook the San Hagen fight. But then again, Sterling is apparently going to be out for a while. So they might be putting a new title online. But it really depends if they want Sandhagen to take on Dillashaw again, because obviously that match got cancelled. I'm not entirely sure if it's been rescheduled. Uh, I might have to look into that. But obviously Sterling's going to be out for a while. Why not just do it in fight? Petty Yan versus the winner of this fight or the winner of the Sandhagen and Dillashaw fight. If one works, really. If if one's a very very fascinating fight. So we'll see we, uh on the rankings what I've got right here, we've got Stern as the champion. He's also got an Oscar. Um Petty Yan, former champion, Sandhagen, Rothon, Cody Garbrandt, Jose Aldo at five, Marias who's still six, which is quite interesting considering I don't feel like he's won any fights recently. I think he beat Aldo. That's the most recent fight he's won, I believe. Uh, Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz, uh, Dominic Cruz, the Georgian guy, I can't pronounce his name, Devalashi. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but uh, he's from Georgia. He's a very good fighter. I need to learn his, how to say his name first, but um, got Rafael Sansao and outside the top 10. This is like 11 to 15. Uh, Jimmy Vera, Stamman Phillips, and Chico Vera. So you got you got fighters that on aren't even ranked that are very good. You've got Fanny Wood, you got Casey Kenny, you've got TJ Gillespie, you got Sean O'Malley. This division's very stacked. The Bantamweight division probably the best division in the UFC roster at the moment, just because how stacked it is. If you look at that ten top ten, those are potential title uh, title contenders, literally. I would not 
sort of shake my head at any of sort of them title fights at all. Sterling, obviously, I feel like he's at the moment not got a lot of respect of the fans. His last, well, his title winning fight, if you would, where he got knee in the head and he sort of played off the injury a bit, obviously, it was hurt. I think you've you got to look at that. And he's taken a knee to the face. He's exhausted. He's obviously going to feel the effects of it. He did milk it. The way he was fluttering his eyes. And, and I feel like he probably heard either the commentary or the ref talking to the doctor. or He's heard someone say that it's, it might be a DQ. And I feel like he's, he, he took the easy way out. And Per Yan, obviously, he was, you could sort of see it after he's done it. He sort of gestures something with his hands, saying that his hands were off the ground. That's why he needed him, which is his mistake. I reckon it should have been a no contest. He's winning the fight. He's pulled hands up. Mistakenly, he didn't see the knee. And he knees him in the head. And I think it should have been uh, no contest and no rematch at some point. But is what it is. Pet Pe- Yan, obviously, deserves a rematch. But obviously, Sterling. So out injured, trying to you know get another Oscar maybe. Um, but yeah, if you just look, how how do you match up some of these dudes? So obviously, Jan Sandhager Font and Garbrandt Font and Grant Garbrandt are fighting each other. Which whoever wins that, don't Font stays third in the rankings, and Garbrandt if he wins goes to third and fourth. So you don't really move from your position very much, which. Shows how stacked this division is. And uh, Sandhagen, hopefully they rematch him with T. Well, not rematch him, but they rescheduled the TJ Dillashaw fight because that just very lot of intrigue there. And obviously what you do is with Dominic Cruz, obviously he's coming off a wing against Casey Kenny. Maybe I'd love to see him against Frankie Edgar. I think that would be a very, very good fight. Um, Pedro Munoz, maybe put him against Morris or Aldo on them. would be a very, very good, exciting fight. Uh, and I feel like the I can't remember, obviously the Georgian fire. I'm going to call him Georgia or the Georgia fire. He's a very good fire, obviously. And who do you give him? I mean, if maybe give him Frankie Edgar or Josie Aldo, like it depends how the UFC want to book him and stuff like that. Obviously, he's probably not very well known. Like, I can't pronounce his name, so obviously, I can't really talk, but um. Yeah, you got obviously O'Malley probably looking to break into that top 15. I can't remember who's fighting next. They did sort of announce it or they hinted at who he's fighting next. You got Nathaniel Wood, Casey Kenny, up and comers. Nathaniel Wood hopefully can reach his potential and maybe be a title contender in a couple of years or maybe a few years. I saw him live at a UFC event in the O2 and yeah, he got the rear naked choke win, if I remember correctly. And I think it'd be an interesting, it'd be interesting to see what happens to this division in about a year's time. Obviously, you've got the Bellator rankings where um, Sergio Pettis recently won the the bantamweight world title in Bellator, and he's also I think challenged the rising world champion. I can't remember the gentleman's name, and um, she something just came up recently. That uh, Jack Ray may be getting cut by UFC. Uh, there was a source and saying he got removed from the rankings, or he's been re- removed some from some sort of rankings in the UFC. So he may be getting cut, or they may be just 
he might be replaced in the rankings. I don't know. I think he'll probably will be cut. He's part of the old guard. You've seen a lot of people get cut. You've seen uh, Julian Santos as the ovary. A lot of these older fighters, these fighters that you've seen in in the two thousands, just getting cut. You know, it, it happened. Year old, times undefeated. So let's let's hope their next stage of their careers or what they choose to do after fighting is successful because these guys were incredible to watch. See them in countless events, and you know they're they're absolute legends. I know Jack Ray never got that middleweight championship, which was out just out of his grasp. He was strike force champion, I believe, and yeah, he was a very very good fighter. He was considered one of the best middleweights in the world about ten years ago. And also you got to think like uh, Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva obviously no longer with the UFC. Wants wants to go into boxing. He's given up doing MMA in general, I believe. But he's like forty four and. Yeah, all these old old guys sort of sort of disappearing off the UFC, which is quite sad to see. But obviously, don't see take it any sort of unnecessary damage, and you sort of hope for the best. And you know, probably see him in Bellator in a year's time, maybe. Anyway, that will wrap up this podcast. Hopefully, you enjoyed. Or if even if you're listening to this, I'm not sure how many people will get the chance to listen to this. Obviously, this is my first podcast. And there'll be a lot of learning experiences, but hopefully I can improve on them. And that'll be all from me. And hopefully everyone has a nice evening, a nice day. And yeah, thank you for listening. Catch you in the next one.